Good Monday morning and welcome to Connect, the California NBA's weekly podcast featuring one-on-one interviews with movers and shakers in the mortgage industry. I'm Dustin Hobbs, Communications Director here at the California NBA, and it's August and we're continuing our series focusing on some of the leaders in the residential lending space, talking to them about their experiences, their uh, their thoughts on where the industry is at now and where we're headed uh, later this year and into 2022. We've got a great guest, and we'll jump right into the conversation here in a moment. But first, let's thank our sponsors over at Incelerate. So Incelerate helps lenders close more loans through better borrower engagement. They are the mortgage industry's most innovative consumer experience platform, and the, and the uh, experience platform delivers lead management, sales enablement, engagement, a robust mortgage-specific content library, and data intelligence, all-in-one, comprehensive, and highly scalable platform. Incelerate delivers dynamic technology, strategy, and content for every channel of your business to ensure engagement throughout the customer journey, whether that be with your borrowers, your referral partners, or any other party to the transaction. The dynamic enterprise solution seamlessly fits into your existing tech stack, whether that's a phone integration, your POS, LOS, servicing system, your data enrichment, and that's due to the advanced API connectivity, modern design, and open architecture. So gone are the days of managing multiple and separate systems, like your CRM, marketing automation, lead management, and having your data trapped in those silos. The innovative platform at Incelerate allows you to provide your internal and external customers timely, relevant information based on data intelligence to build repeatable outcomes at each stage of the customer's journey. So bottom line, close more loans, improve borrower conversions, enhance customer retention, transform your customer acquisition lifecycle, and create customers for life. So for more, more information, go to Incelerate.com, or you can call the number listed here in the description below. All right, let's jump into the conversation. I'm excited to welcome in an old friend of the association, Chuck Iverson. Chuck is the president at Mason McDuffie Mortgage Company, and he's been a longtime uh, member of the California MBA Board of Directors. And we'll get into some of the uh, other things that uh, Chuck has done for the association here in a few moments. But Chuck, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So for uh, let's start at the beginning. For those that uh, maybe don't know you well, I think, uh, I don't know how small, vanishingly small that number is. Chuck, you've been in the industry for a while and everyone seems to know you. Uh, but for maybe those that don't know yet, what's your background? How did you get started in the industry? And kind of what uh, led you to where you're at now at uh, Mason McDuffie? Yeah. So uh, I was fortunate enough. I had a bunch of friends to get in the mortgage business. And uh, I was in the tech world uh, coming out of, out of college. And uh, I worked for a couple startups. And both of them cratered <laughs> due to lack of capitalization. And uh, one of my good friends was a... Uh, just really doing well in the mortgage industry. And he said, hey, come over, I got a desk for you. And so uh, refis were starting to happen, it was 1992. And he set me up and uh, away I went. And uh, I took to it really, uh, it was just like uh, such a great fit for me because I've been doing technical sales. And I got over here and I just looked at this and I said, oh, this is just technical sales. You can be a consultant, you advise your clients, you just have to know your stuff. And so, you know, I got out 4155 and a highlighter and read it a few times and started taking loan apps and made a few screw ups along the way, but uh, seemed to do okay. So that's how I started. Um, I'm curious, back at, I mean, back in that, uh, in the time when you first started, you said you came from the, the tech side. I mean, obviously in the in the 90s, the mortgage industry was not exactly technically uh, proficient. Did that kind of chafe at you as you got started in the industry, not having necessarily maybe all the 
the technology certainly that we do now? Uh, I don't, I mean, I mean, this is a long time ago, so PCs were just becoming a thing at the time. So it wasn't like really uh, technology had pro proliferated the way that it was. It was mainly in the big corporations and with big mainframe types of things. So, uh, you know, it didn't really, wasn't as much on my radar really. Um, you know, the probably the most surprising thing to me today, if you would have asked me back then, would we still have, you know, a very complex process uh, and take this many people to produce a mortgage, I would have said no, or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. So it is just uh, amazing how complex, how many little interactions, how many pieces of data, how many compliance rules that we have to manage. And that's really what keeps this process from you know, being you know, a lot more seamless and, and simplistic. So, but uh, you know, lots of people are trying to crack the code on it. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, looking back at this last year, year plus now, obviously, uh, it's, it's certainly um, been a challenging year for everyone. Everyone, I think, has learned uh, learned many lessons. So, uh, you know, from your perspective, whether it's you know personal or professional, what's maybe the most important lesson you've learned? Uh, a couple things. I mean, the first is being flexible. Um, you know, I've uh, you know I've had a couple different roles now after a 20-year run, so that's a flexibility I've had to learn. I've had to learn new systems and new companies, um, and then at the same time, how to do that you know with COVID. Uh, and the the second piece of that is really kind of the importance of people and how we connect. Um, you know, just in this year, being able to get back out and see branches and and meet people, it's just been great. However. Um, the lessons of 2020 are still there using Zoom or you know, in my current company, we use Microsoft Teams, which is just a fabulous tool. And so now we've got this really engaging kind of hybrid, you know, community right now. And so we like to get together a little bit, but Teams is just, I mean, look at you and I right now, we're having this conversation, we can see each other, you know, it's dynamic. So I think the embracing the technology, being flexible and innovating, learning new ways to, to collaborate because at the end of the day, this is still a people business, and we have to have to work together. Have you found it different or challenging, or or maybe what's uh, something you tell to somebody uh, um, stepping into maybe an executive role, um, trying to you know balance the the in person nature of uh, you know the culture at a company and sort of like you said, embracing the technology and and being okay with the remoteness of uh, doing Zoom or or Teams. Yeah, I think it's just a mindset that you have to you have to make the best of it, and you have to be willing to learn. And it's tempting as you get older, you know, to not do that. To even kind of even if it's just a little bit, you know, grouse about, oh, why do I have to do this or those types of things? And I feel that disempowers you or takes away from that. So, for example, uh, I'm new to teams, right? Uh, and we've got different topics and threads, and now you know all the files are in there, the meeting notes are in there. So in the past, where I might go, oh, what happened in this meeting? I'll go back to the person who was responsible for it and have them dig out their all their files, which is really inefficient for them. It was convenient for me. Now I'm training myself. Okay, I just go right into that folder. It's all the data is right there. You know, so I think that it's making sure that you're you're willing to do the same thing you ask your teams to do, and that you put you know a positive spin on it in your mind. You know, not necessarily out of your mouth, in your mind, and you just really embrace it. Continually, continually uh, talking to and convincing yourself, huh? Um, yeah. So I'm curious, uh, having gone through the uh, the 2008 financial crisis, 
Um, I, I'd be curious to know if there are any, you know, any lessons you learned from that or uh, anything you picked up from that that maybe prepared you for uh, what we've gone through the last year and a half. Uh, absolutely, you know, and uh, <clears throat> in 2008, uh, you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> everyone remembers the implodometer and, you know, we were having daily huddles as an executive team and it was really, a lot of it was around liquidity. You know, can, is there someone there to buy these loans that I'm doing, you know? And so, you you know, we were, was it Sierra Pacific at the time, you know, great, great president leader there, Jim Caprini, and I mean, and uh, John Deasy running capital markets. And we were just like huddling, we we're killing products. And we were, you know, we were also taking, you know, if we could sell loans, we were selling, right? Regardless of the price, all those things. So, you know, Jim always taught me liquidity is your number one, you know, concern. You know, whether it's warehouse capacity or if it's you know just multiple investors to buy to buy loans and and so we went through that and you know of course we the other thing is communication and trust with your with your warehouse partners I mean we were giving daily updates to our warehouse partners during that time frame and I personally know other major companies that kind of they may have been taking proactive actions, but they weren't talking to their warehouse partners and they had, I mean, they were shut down by their warehouse partners. So fast forward to last year and uh, I was with another, you know, uh, incredibly great executive team at Evergreen Home Loans, another great leader, Don Burton, and just, you know, really veteran leadership team. And we, honestly, it was just kind of like we hit the playback button because you know it wasn't just the margins it was really kind of three factors we had to look at we had margin calls going on we had forbearance and forbearance modeling going on and then you had investor liquidity and, you know the non-qm space anything that was non-agency literally dried up you know and so it was overnight and so it was like whoa groundhog day for 2008 um, but those of us who've been through it, uh, you know, just kind of like you just kind of knew the playbook of things to go through and prepare the organization to get through it. Interesting. So you mentioned the uh, the margin call issue, uh, and that was uh, roughly around like March of, of uh, 2020. And uh, I, I'm curious your your thoughts on this. I think for a lot of folks that were not in, in maybe in an executive role or sort of, you know, close on the sidelines like I was at, at the California MBA kind of watching at uh, watching and, and uh um, seeing how that was all going down, I think a lot of people don't realize what a big threat that was to the industry and how tense of a uh, you know week or so, or even through that weekend, um, how big of a deal that was. So I mean, maybe describe for a minute to sort of what that was like going through that and how big of an issue that really was. Yeah. So um, you know, everyone thinks rates going down is a good thing, right? <laughs> Always a good thing. Well, you're buying a house. Yeah. It goes down so far, and you have so many locks. And uh, your market positions are, su are such that you have to basically put up cash to cover your positions. It um, it's threatening. It's life threatening because you can. Um, there's another piece of it. I I, I highlighted the uh, liquidity lessons I've learned in the past from some of my previous leaders. There's the cash issue too. And so you know uh, you can run out of cash, and even if you're a highly going profitable entity, you're done. You know so. Uh, for us at Evergreen at the time, you know, Don, again, he's just uh, belt suspenders and a piece of rope, you know, so he made sure that we had the ample liquidity there um, and, and uh, really was drawing upon every source that he had to make sure that he was prepared for whatever, you know, so that was, that was uh, probably easier for us, but we were definitely doing the modeling out 
And, you know, I think that, you know, once the Fed realized the problem was they tapered the buying and it was a predictable uh, process and, and gently lowered, you know, it was all great. But if you remember, it wasn't just margin calls going on that time. We had the liquidity crunch. I mean, we got left with a couple loans from, you know, certain investors. And then we also had this forbearance modeling going on. And no one knew how big forbearance was going to be. Um, you didn't know exactly what you were going to have to remit to the agencies, you know, so there's all kinds of just different numbers there. So a lot of spreadsheet calculations going on throughout the industry. Yeah, yeah, I can't imagine the uh, uh, forbearance issue, how much the, how much of an unknown that must have been to yeah. sort of model that out when, I mean, this is again, like a one-century thing. Yeah, we were trying to model up to 50% or 100% forbearance even. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, thankfully, I think we topped out industry-wide somewhere around 8 9%. Um, but yeah, whew, that not knowing what was going on or what what uh, what was to come, that I can't imagine the uh, the unknown how much that uh, must have challenged you guys. Yeah. Um, so I know that uh, um, you've been for the, for those that uh, know you well, they know that uh, innovation is a big uh, a big value of yours and and uh, sort of a passion of yours. And you were certainly instrumental in helping us launch the Mortgage Innovators Conference uh, a few years ago. You're the chair of the first couple of years. And uh, certainly, you know, very involved as a board member and uh, as the chair of that conference. And so, I'm curious from your perspective, where are we at industry-wise when it comes to innovation right now? And you know, maybe what, uh, where do you see maybe the next big breakthrough? Yeah, um, you know, it's really interesting. I've, uh, I've I've had a chance to kind of step back and think about it. So, where are we at? I mean, you know, God bless the entrepreneurial spirit of, of actually humans humanity but in this country in particular and our industry because there are so many companies trying to solve either large or small problems in our industry right now but as i said in the, the beginning of it you know it's it's a very complex environment and you know a lot of people outside the industry just think we're a bunch of knuckleheads and we don't know what we're doing and they're you know you always hear this new company is going to come in and just kind of redo the entire mortgage experience and they don't know what they're doing and you know uh you know you have to take some of that with a grain of salt but um every aspect of the industry is being modernized right now um it is uh, one of the this is one of my reflections on it i think one of the biggest barriers to the advancement of the industry has been the volatile nature so, um, you know, in like 2020, um, unfortunately, I mean, fortunately for the mortgage industry, unfortunately for the economic crisis was, that was around it, we were super busy. How much innovation do you think went on that last year? Besides figuring out how to do work, work from remote, you know, that was the biggest thing. But it put the brakes on all kinds of things. You know, I know at my current company, Mace McDuffie, there were a lot of modernization projects projects that just got absolutely put on hold. And of course, we're, we're re-engaging today. Likewise, 2018, people were pulling the plug on all kinds of projects, right? You know, it was all about, because it was so thin margin-wise. And I, um, I was at a conference with uh, Tavon, and, um, uh, and forgive me for forgetting her name, but it was the former CIO of Caliber, who prior to that, she was the CTO of Pepsi, and they asked her what the biggest difference between you know, the caliber was and, and Pepsi. And she said, oh, it's predictability of revenue. Mm. You know, Pepsi could, could 
engage in long-term projects because they can always forecast their revenue and market share and all those other things. And we're like this, right? And, and then I look at some of the uh, companies that, um, they're mortgage companies, they came in with a promise of being different. And so they had a lot of investment money behind them. And it, and it wasn't really the, they didn't have to be profitable the way breakfast did. And what's happened for them, it gave them a longer runway. And then of course they hit a good market. And so all of a sudden now they're, they're a legitimate environment so, or a legitimate contender in, in the space. So it's just kind of interesting to see the funding and the long-term investment actually pay off where the rest of us, you know, we're worried about our warehouse covenants and making money and all the payroll and all the other stuff. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see when those, uh, you know, when the patience runs out, you know, and with some of these newer companies that obviously, like you said, they came in at maybe the greatest time ever to start a mortgage company. And uh, once things, you know, turn away from refi, if they haven't really invested in their, you know, purchase business, what happens then? And, and you know, to that end, I mean, this is kind of feeds right into my next question here. What do you guys, what's your, your thoughts on strategy wise when it comes to yeah making this transition back to purchase that the industry seems to be slowly making right now? Well, I think, you know, it's all about your business model. So, you know, um, we have seen, you know, our, our friends in Detroit at Quicken do a better job continuously of trying to put out tools to, to you know, referral partners and get confidence in that community, but it's been slow going. Um, still, they're, they're so good at what they do that they're, they're making progress. But for distributed retail companies like like myself and some of the companies I've worked for and the, many of the listeners around here, it's just the loan officers get out with the referral partners, and that's what's really keeping us in business. And um, I was talking to actually uh, my friend Jeremy Potter, who you may know from Quicken, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and you know there's still a conversion issue in our industry, so we can engage borrowers, get them advertising, we can give them content, and you know and do a lot of things around and educate them. Look at Zillow, they've got everybody looking at real estate, Redfin, same thing, you know, but getting that actual conversion is still somewhat elusive, except for at the, the time of sale between that referral partner and, and a trusted originator. So will it stay that way forever? I, I don't think so, uh, but there is, uh, um, there's such value there, such expertise. And again, when you actually get inside of a transaction, you go, wow, there's so much that could go wrong on one of these things. There's so much to know that, that, you know, that high, highly, um, experienced mortgage originator is really still the best purchase vehicle for a consumer out there. So, you know, and I, you know, and I've, I've been blessed to work with some of the best and I've got some of the best right here at Mason McDuffie, excuse me. Yeah, I'm curious, what, uh, how much do you think that the, uh, um, like borrower, the borrower, uh, him or herself, uh, plays into this? As far as if you've got a really, you know, uh, experienced borrower, this is not their first house, they know exactly what they want, they can kind of, you know, they've got all their paperwork together, they can kind of almost do it, uh, you know, as a matter of, you know, just a piece of cake, they can go online and do it. And they don't really need their hand held. And then you've got the first time home buyer that, you know, maybe even says a, a younger borrower even says they want to do it all online. But when it comes down to it, they don't know what they don't know. And they really are going to lean on that uh, uh, originator as a trusted source of information. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking about uh, Dave Zitting talks a lot about this, you know, about, you know, the emotional needs of the customer, both from a knowledge and from a 
what I would call a hand-holding. Uh, and, and certainly there's those uh, borrowers that are more sophisticated. I mean, gosh, many have done so many loans now, so they know the process and all that. I still think on purchases, they're gonna have a tendency to go to a referral. Um, I think their financial institutions are becoming a stronger play. You know, I see credit unions really on the, on the move. Uh, as, as well as the depository, so they're pretty strong and fierce, and that's a, that's one where they can kind of get in there because they have that trusted relationship too. But even the veterans, even myself, you know, in a transaction, again, I need somebody, a partner on the other side that really knows what they're doing, you know. And I, um, I gosh, I just went through a transaction, and I have a friend who's an originator, and. You know, I just appreciate the level of confidence that went into that whole thing, and, I, and it could have just gone a completely different way. Now, I'm I know that because I can I know the processes and I know what I'm talking about in all those other things. I wouldn't have had the control though. I would have been on the outside just being really frustrated. So, you know, I think it's still um, originator dependent so much on their their competency. It's hard to put a number on uh, peace of mind, right? Um, uh -huh. So uh, looking forward here to next year, sort of maybe the end of this year, next year, what, uh, as you know, someone who's leading a, a mortgage company right now, what maybe single economic factor do you pay attention to more than anything else other than interest rates, obviously? Is there something on a macroeconomic level or something else in maybe in housing uh, specific that uh, you really kind of pay attention to every day or, you know, a couple of times a day? Um, not really. I mean, if you're, you know, if you're talking about the trends for next year and what, what I'm thinking about, you know, it's really housing inventory. Um, and I think that's really um, the big question. And certainly interest rates may be volatile. Um, uh, I don't think we're going to have, you know, we're not going to go to 8% rates. So I certainly expect at some point we're going to have rates go up and that will, you know, I think margin compression, uh, as well as lower volume is going to be a real issue, you know, whether it's in 2022 or 2023, one of these years after coming up. I think we will be uh, the benefit of a pretty good purchase market though through all those years, just because I mean, you know, the pent-up demand of the millennial generation, and you know, we haven't even been talking about the next generation, which is my son's age, and, and he's 25 now, and so he's doing well, and other kids that are going to come up, and they're going to be of that that um, that age of buying so there's such demand out there and oops, my lights just turned off um the uh you know the inventory just isn't doesn't come like that so you know i think you know condominiums um i think you know new construction i think that a move a continued move towards lower cost housing you know so out here i'm here in california so i'll point out towards the valley you know, those things, you know, Nevada, Arizona, other states, I think eventually it was like the Midwest looks like a bargain, you know, and it's, it's a great place to live, you know. And so I think that, you know, the hybrid workforce and being able to, you know, work remotely is going to start some more migrations away from some of these, some of the high cost markets. So, you know, those are some of the macro trends that I think about, you know. Are you? Do you see any uh, any relief uh, when it comes to inventory? I know just recent you know data that's come out. I think from the realtors uh, last week or a week before looked like there was a little bit of relief. But do you see that as a maybe a long term trend that's happening now, or are we is that just kind of maybe a blip and we're still going to have really tight inventory for the foreseeable future? Yeah, I think we're going to have tight inventory for the foreseeable future. Uh, hopefully, it's not going to be excruciating the way that it has been. You know, because 
it's been so tight that in some markets you can't even get financing contingency. So that just locks out normal folks buying house. Um, and of course, you know, just the, um, the the spike in prices, you know, that's another affordability issue. So it's it's concerning. I can, I'm concerned for my staff members. I just think about it right here. You know, I'm in the East Bay area, which is a, it's a beautiful area, but now it's became prohibitive in costs, I think, for a lot of people that, you know, aren't tech billionaires. So, you know, it's a concern, a real concern for the industry, um, but I do think that we're innovative, we'll find ways of doing this, people will adapt, people will move, and we'll be there to serve them. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So last question here, we're starting to run out of time. Um, I know you've been, a, I mentioned earlier that you've been a board member of the California MBA for a number of years. You've been involved in the association's activities for a long time. I think you're a good person to ask this question. I mean, if you're talking to a, a fellow lending executive or, or someone, or colleague in the industry who's not yet a member, what's your your pitch to them on why it's important? Why have you, you know, when you've, uh, um, you know, you've kind of, Move throughout the industry. Why have you always made sure that you stayed involved with the California MBA? What's the what's the uh, the gain to you? Yeah, it's a, I'd say it's it's three things. Um, the first is you know once you start paying attention to the legislative uh, environment in California, which is where a lot of mortgage industry regulations start, and you realize the um, the competing forces that are trying to come up with innovative ideas, and I think there are many of them are well-intentioned, but with you know kind of catastrophic side effects, and you know to have the level of um, reach that this this organization has um, through our you know through our lobbyists who are just fantastic through Susan, so I had to have a CEO who's been at the helm for so long. And you know, kind of knows the insides of that the political landscape there. I think it's just vital for our industry. And we're not just helping California; we're helping the entire company, country. Excuse me. So that's that's what I look at it. I think the other thing that people need to know is the value that's created. You know, first off, we're all comrades. You know, I can learn from so many different people. And so, you know, the content that's uh, put out, the conferences, mortgage innovators, Western Secondary. I mean, these are these are staples legal issues for our commercial partners out there. You know, uh, we've got a great conference as well. So just really great uh, content, education, resources as well. And then the third, I'd say, is just the quality of the people I've met has just been fantastic. And it's honestly changed the uh, trajectory of my career. Wow. Well, that's great testimony. Thank you, Chuck. I, I appreciate that. I uh, appreciate the kind words. And, and thanks for, uh, for staying involved. And uh, thanks for joining us on Connect today. Thanks for having me. Have a great year, everybody. Take care. Yeah. Well, and uh, I assume that uh, we'll be able to see, I forgot to ask this a couple of minutes ago. I'm assuming we'll see you at the uh, Western Secondary here in a couple of weeks, right? We'll be there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we'll be live and in person. For those who aren't registered yet, we're going to be live in person again at the Western Secondary August 24th through the 26th at the Monarch Beach Resort in Dana Point. Uh, it should be a fantastic event. We actually are going to have a uh, all attendee party on the first night that is gonna feature Escape the Journey tribute band. And we're gonna have some live dancing and, and fun and, and uh, um, some, I think some 80s themed costumes will uh, probably show up. So uh, I'm thinking Jen Roth might be there. I think she might, I think there's a chance. Yep, absolutely. So if you're not registered yet, make sure to go to westernsecondary.com and you can check out the information there. And uh, we'll be back again next week for another episode of Connect. We'll see you then. Here we go.